Concerning Ministries in the Church, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He gave to the church some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. From heaven, Jesus calls that person who is to be his minister. He appoints that person to offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The person might have more than one office. Paul spoke of himself and said that he was a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. I am an apostle prophet. An apostle deals with church doctrine. You see me deal constantly with such doctrines as divorce, remarriage, homosexuals, lesbians, and other things. That's what apostles do. Prophets often give warnings, especially to pastors. By an, a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet, he was preserved. Hosea chapter 12, verse 13. Prophets warn the church. They're always sent to the church. And also, in Ezekiel 3, we learn, when, we're, when God is training us to do the work of a prophet, that if we fail to deliver the warning, God's warning to the church or to the individual, and that individual dies for his sin or is injured because of what he is doing and the way he is going, and we fail to deliver the warning, his blood is on our hands. I asked God once, is there a New Testament scripture concerning the blood being on a minister's hands if he fails to warn that person? And God showed me that in the case of the Apostle Paul, Paul stated this for us in Acts 20. He called together the elders of the church at Ephesus and he told them that he knew they wouldn't see him anymore. We can start at verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. But many men and women put themselves into the ministries by going to Bible school or going to seminaries. But they are not called by Jesus to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, 
or teacher. They just enroll in Bible college. When I was born again in 1975 by God speaking to me by his spirit and saying, Joan, you know these mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. And I said, sins? I thought they were mistakes. I thought I was a Christian. I'd been baptized in water. I'd gone forth at Church of Christ and been baptized in water. I thought I was a Christian. But nothing changed in my life after I did that. After God spoke to me that night in 1975, everything changed. It was like I was a new creature, born again by the Spirit of God. That's what being born again is, is we are changed by God. A few nights after this happened, I was transported into heaven in the night. I saw no physical images. It was a spiritual experience. I was with God. I was with Christ. I was with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, I was merged into the body of Jesus, made one with the Word of God, God and the Holy Spirit witnessing. A few nights later, the exact same thing happened to me a second time. After that, I didn't care anything anymore about my business, which I owned in Dallas at the time. All I cared about was the Bible, things of God, the church, and all I wanted to do was go to church, read the Bible, go to the prayer group, do things of God, go to meetings. I believe at the time I was taken into heaven twice, I was merged into the body of Jesus. I said to God at the time he revealed to me that I was to be a minister, how can this be? Paul said, let women keep silent in the churches. God said to me, go back and read that again and look at what those women were doing. When I read it a second time, it appeared to me like these women were asking questions and disturbing the gathering of the church. You have to remember, at that time, they were meeting in homes. It would be very easy to be talkative in small groups. We'll read that scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Start at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye are come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak to or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first holiest peace, for ye may all prophesy, one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, 
but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So a prophet would never interrupt a church service to give a prophecy. It would have to be done in proper order. I've always done that when the teacher would say, does anyone have a word from the Lord? As our Bible teacher always said, then I would give that word. But at the 11 o'clock service, the pastor never said anything to open the door for a word from God. And I never received a word from God during the 11 o'clock service. It would have been out of order, in my opinion, to have interrupted the pastor and have given a word from God when the pastor did not ask or invite us to give a word from God. Most of the main services are completely closed to words of God from the Holy Spirit. They have it set up actually to keep you from talking because they have the platform and they have the banister usually around the pulpit and they usually have the appointed people sitting on the stage and the other people are not invited to share words from God. That's what I found. But sometimes at the Bible classes, they are invited to share words of God. And it's totally appropriate then to share in cases like that. Start at verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. I went to visit in a non-denominational church one time and pastor was teaching the Bible class. A woman jumped up and waved her hands in the air and began shouting, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! And she began running around the room, shouting and waving her hands. The people thought that was the Holy Spirit. The pastor thought that was the Holy Spirit. I was horrified. I knew that wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would never interrupt a church service that way. I knew this woman was out of order. If I had been in charge of that service, I would have stopped her, and I would have taught what the works of the Holy Spirit are. The Holy Spirit never falls upon you and causes your body to do things. This woman was out of order, and I think that's what Paul was confronting in Let the Women Keep Silence in the Churches. At verse 34 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. And I think that this was showing me that they were asking questions during the church service. They could have been interrupting it in other ways. Remember, it was in home groups, small groups that met in a home which I personally like the idea of small groups meeting in homes. But I can also see how the women have to be disciplined. God 
also took me to Acts chapter 21 to show me something to get me to deliver exhortations to the church. Acts chapter 21. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Then in verse 9 it says, This same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. God said to me, To prophesy you would have to speak in the church because prophecy is sent to the church. And then God also reminded me of Deborah, who was a prophetess. That is in Judges chapter 4, verse 4. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lephedoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel, in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. In verse 6, she also spoke to the captain of Israel, and said, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor? And take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and the children of Zebulun. And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude. And I will deliver him into thy hand. So Deborah, the prophetess, is telling the captain of the army of Israel to go to a certain place, and the enemy will come to that place, and he will have the victory over Jabin. And the captain of Israel of this army said to Deborah, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with thee. God reminded me of this story as he was convincing me that I was to present messages and exhortations to the church, and he gave me a gift of exhortation, spiritual gift of exhortation. That's in Romans chapter 12. So he gave me the equipment that I needed to be able to speak to the church. But you need to do it in a proper time and proper way. There should be No confusion like that woman who jumped up in church and ran around the building. That wasn't edifying to anyone. After I got back to the car after that service, I said to God, I know that was not the Holy Spirit. And I heard immediately a confirming word from God showing me that was not the Holy Spirit. And the word I heard was in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. Let all things be done in the church decently and in order. That woman was totally out of order. In the book of Jude, we are warned about men who will come into the church without the Spirit of God and take over and be ministers. Jude verses 17 through 19. 
But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual having not the spirit. The word mocker means copier, like a mockingbird, copying other birds. These people copy other people and turn themselves into ministers without having the Spirit of God. I heard Kenneth Copeland once tell this story about himself. More than once I've heard Copeland tell this story, that he, I believe he said he flew the plane for Kenneth Hagin. And he watched Kenneth Hagin at meetings, and he said, well, I can do that. So he got the tapes of Kenneth Hagin, and he shut himself up in his garage for two weeks and memorized Hagin's tapes. That is a mocker. Yet he became very, very famous. Willie has a very good performance ability, has a good singing voice for popular music, He has a stage presence. He can entertain people. But he's got a spirit that's very fierce. I've seen it many times. These mockers put themselves into the church by their own means. They don't have the call of God on their life. And it was Peter that said many will follow their pernicious ways. So don't be surprised that they are big-time radio TV ministers today. Peter said that in Second Peter chapter 2. Start at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Damnable heresies would be that they look at the scripture with natural eyes and they see things that are not spiritual and they make up doctrines based on what they see and they think they know. But they're not really doctrines of Christ and they end up pulling you away from the pure doctrine of Christ. I've heard Copeland give a doctrine called authority of the believer where we are supposed to have authority over devils. So if you take that authority, a devil cannot touch you or your house or your property or your family. So you stand up against that devil and command him, in the name of Jesus, to leave your property alone. So he can't bring hail or anything like that against you, according to Copeland's doctrine. Vanetta Copeland was one of my close friends back in the 80s, and she told me this story. She said one of the Copeland children was very ill in the hospital. And she said, Joan, they were all just standing around the child claiming scripture. I went in another room and fell down on my knees and begged God to let that child live. Vanetta was an old-time Baptist. She knew the doctrine was not correct. In that doctrine authority of the believer, you're trying to take the place of God. You're not asking God for help. You are trying to be God, claiming scripture over the situation, standing up against devils, addressing devils directly. When Michael the archangel said, The Lord rebukes thee, 
he didn't even dare to do such a thing. That's in the book of Jude. The doctrine Copeland set up is with natural eyes. It doesn't actually work. But if you fail in the doctrine, then they explain you have weak faith. So it is a very dangerous, pernicious thing. And it tries to make you be as God, claiming scripture over the situation, not having the Holy Spirit give you the scripture, but you find the scripture to claim it. And it causes you to be as God, knowing good and evil. That's what Paul says in Second Thessalonians 2. It's actually a doctrine of Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, will not happen unless there is a falling away first. That's what Paul is telling us. God said to me in 1982, when I was reading this scripture, the falling away are not people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. They fall away from scriptures and set up their own doctrine, and that's what this authority of the believer is. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You are not shown in that movement, the faith movement, at least we weren't when I was there, and I was there about five years in Robert Tilton's church. We were not ever shown to call on God and seek his will and ask him for help. We were taught to find a scripture to stand on, claim that scripture, to stand on that technically to get what you want. Bob often taught this. If you want a red pickup, then you get a magazine with a red pickup, cut it out, put it on your refrigerator, put that picture of that red pickup on your refrigerator, and you will at some point in time get strong enough to figure out some way to get that pickup. I was not interested in that doctrine as I sat there in those years. I think it was called a doctrine of prosperity. I knew that prosperity came from meditating in the Word of God day and night and doing what God said, and I always did that. I did Psalm chapter 1 and Joshua 1.8, which tells you to meditate in the Word of God day and night, and it will basically cause you to do what God says, and then you will prosper and have good success in everything you do. Both of those scriptures tell you the same thing. And I was doing that. I only did that claiming thing one time. I wanted to marry, and I found a scripture in Isaiah, none shall want her mate. And I claimed that every morning, every day. The prayer group was praying for me to marry. My best friend was praying for me to marry. I did not marry because it was not the will of God for me. 
prayers have to be according to the will of God. We know that by 1 John chapter 5. It has to be according to God's will. And we weren't seeking God's will concerning me. We were claiming that scripture in Isaiah. It did not work. My faith was strong enough, but it wasn't the will of God. Well, I have to say that I was always just a little bit had a twinge when I was thinking of this because it kind of seemed like I wasn't going to be marrying and I wanted to. Lots of times you try to explain away the will of God because you want to do something. When I finally gave up and said, okay, okay, I don't believe it's your will for me to marry. When I did that, then everything kind of began falling in line. But we must pray according to God's will. That's in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So we have to pray according to the will of God. Reading that scripture once again in Jude, verses 17 through 19. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers, copiers, in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Now often when I share things with other ministers, other pastors, when I share things of God, often I have seen no spark of understanding in them. They do not understand what I'm saying. I have learned to walk away when I see that because God gives understanding to us. And if there is no understanding, I can't help them. I can't do anything where they're concerned because I can't give them understanding. And if God doesn't give them understanding, then I can't do anything. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. Let's go back for a minute to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. They take scriptures and twist them, so that they can present their own doctrines, and therefore they speak evil of the way of truth, which is that scripture. And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you through covetousness with feign words that they don't even believe. They'll make merchandise of you. Peter says that they are spots at the feast. They eat with us. 
their spots and blemishes, in verse 13, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray. They are wells without water. They, they make great swelling words. They seem to be saying something, but you go away and can't remember what it was they were saying many times. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through must, much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. That is verse 18. We're seeing that today. We definitely see that in the churches today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is so important. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I've worked with so many pastors that can't understand what I'm saying. I finally learned just walk away because they don't have a spark of understanding from God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 15, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I was watching a television newscast one day, and the man that the Catholics call the Pope came on screen and they asked him, well, what do you think about homosexuals? And he said, well, I don't see any problem with being homosexual. And I just screamed at the television, what about the Bible? Romans chapter 1. If anyone asks you what you think about homosexuals and lesbians, what God thinks is what matters. Romans chapter 1. I really quote this scripture when they ask me that question. I urge you to quote the exact scripture. Take a Bible and read it to them if you have to. Romans chapter 1, start at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Just quote Romans 1, 26 through 28, and tell them this is what God says about it. 
God has shown me, always quote what the Bible says. Concerning the subject of divorce and remarriage, a woman in our church group, and this happened to her before she was even born again, she was raised Baptist, she had divorced and wanted to remarry, and apparently they were teaching in the Baptist church in those days that you couldn't divorce and remarry. That was back in the 1940s and 50s. Anyway, she was raised in the Baptist church. She divorced and she wanted to remarry. So she went to a pastor. I don't know that it was a Baptist pastor, but they went to a pastor, she and the man she wanted to marry, and asked this pastor, can I remarry as a divorced woman? And the pastor said, well, my sister remarried after divorce. I don't see anything wrong with it. So she and this man married, and she later was born again and began reading the Bible. And she was so upset because by the scriptures she read, she saw that she had committed adultery. She was so upset with this pastor. If you want to know about the subject of divorce and remarriage, it's very easy to read the scriptures on it. And if you will really absorb and want to know, you can find out by prayer and reading these scriptures. Matthew 5.32 is one of them. Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. If that wife goes out and remarries after her husband has divorced her, she commits adultery. But that husband who divorced the faithful wife will be the cause of her adultery. We'll read that again. Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. I will give you some other scriptures to read. Well, we'll we'll just read them right now. Romans 7, 2 and 3. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, we don't go by the law of Moses in sacrificing animals for sins, but we do go by the law of God as presented in the New Testament Bible. Some churches throw this scripture out of Romans 7, though it is the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of God to the New Testament church. Some churches today throw this out, saying we don't go by the law anymore. We don't go by the law of Moses on sacrifice of animals for sins. But we certainly go by the law of God on the subjects of adultery that are presented in the New Testament Bible. There are other scriptures that tell us the same thing it is so important to compare Scripture with Scripture. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7. We have two sets of scripture in this. Verses 10 and 11. Paul tells us this is a commandment of the Lord for the New Testament church. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. Only in the Lord means marrying another Christian. If you deny scriptures and explain them away, you deny Jesus who is the Word, though you say Jesus is Lord. One time I attended a Baptist church in Dallas that had 3,000 members. They had a very iconic minister. They worshipped him as 3,000 people would show you. I once went to him and talked to him, and I shared following God by the Spirit of God with him. I was citing John chapter 14, verse 26, John chapter 16, verse 13, concerning following the Spirit of God. And he said to me, why, you would have to be a spiritual giant to do that. I was so shocked because to me, every real Christian, every one of the elect of God should be able to recognize the Spirit of God and be able to follow the Spirit of God. And that's exactly what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I could see that this Baptist preacher didn't have any understanding. It wasn't long before I changed churches when I saw that. There was a woman who was a nurse, and she told me that she was at his bedside when he died. And she said she had never heard anyone speak such vile, foul language as this iconic Baptist preacher spoke when he was dying. The things that came out of his mouth, she said, were just terrible. Personally, I believe God has shown me those were devils coming out of that man. They knew he was dying and they had to go find another home. For they have to have a living home to live in. They live in the bodies of other people. I think they were leaving his body at that moment before he died. And I think that's where the foul language was coming from. Sometimes pastors will think they have a revelation from God or some kind of truth, and they'll set up a whole doctrine for their churches based on one scripture that they think they understand. Robert Tilton once told me that he had decided there were only four ministry offices instead of five, that pastor and teacher were the same office, just one office, not divided offices. 
that you could be a teacher and not a pastor or a pastor and not a teacher, that you were a pastor and teacher. The five offices listed in the Bible are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But Bob said he felt there were only four offices. God took me to a passage of scripture to show that what Bob thought was wrong. The apostle Paul was speaking to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7. Paul said, Wherefore I am ordained a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He wasn't a pastor. Paul was not a pastor. Therefore, the doctrine that Bob Tilton thought he knew was wrong. A lot of times you look at one scripture and you for one moment will think you see something, but what you see is disproved by another scripture. Another thing that Tilton thought was that everyone was a minister, everyone in the congregation. He thought that the translators of the Bible in the King James had put an extra comma into verse 12. And he thought all of the saints were for the work of the ministry. But what God showed me is 1 Corinthians 12. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Verse 28, and God hath set some in the church. Some in the church to care for the church. Some to minister. First apostles, secondarily prophets. Thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of ministry? Says Paul, he's trying to show them that these are gifts of the Holy Spirit and some are set in the church as apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles. Some are set into the church to care for the church and to minister to the church. So Bob had that incorrect also. We are supposed to compare scripture with scripture. Very often we confirm our doctrines by seeing a scripture and seeing another scripture which confirms the doctrine. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, Because we have been given the Spirit of God, which things we also speak by the Spirit of God, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 1 Corinthians 2.13 A pastor contacted me. He was wanting to build a new church building. They'd already bought the land for the building, and they were working toward building a building. And he wanted me to come and bless the building. Two or three times he asked me to come bless the building. And finally, I told him, I said, if your work is a work of God, then God will bless it. But if your work isn't a work of God, a human can't bless it. It won't do to have me come bless it if it isn't a work of God. It has to be a work of God. I said, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
Because if God has ordained this, he will bless it. If it's the will of God. Well, this pastor could never give me any word that he had ever heard from God to build a building. I'm not too surprised to hear this because this pastor even believes that we are at the end time. Well, at the end time, God will take us off the earth and God will destroy the present heaven and earth with fire. All those buildings that men build will be burned in the fire and destroyed. So it doesn't make any sense at all to me to be focusing on building a church building at the end times when really what we need to be doing is teaching the body of Christ so that they can be ready for the return of Jesus because many of them right now are not ready. They are fretting about things and concerned about things and troubled about things. And the Apostle Peter told us, as we wait for the return of Jesus to be sure that we are living in peace and they're living in trouble. Well, the problem is they have not connected to God in prayer over the problem. Paul said, Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So by being troubled, we show that we have not connected to God on that problem. It's prayer that enables us to live in peace because we connect with God and he gives us a word concerning the situation and we focus on that word. So it makes us worthy to escape that which is coming upon this world. Watch and pray, says Jesus that ye may be accounted worthy to escape. Well, the reason you're accounted worthy to escape is you have watched and you have prayed. You have taken those problems to God, and that causes you to be worthy to escape that which is coming upon this earth and to stand before the Son of Man. So I told this pastor, I said, really, what we need to be doing at this point in time is preparing the church for the return of Jesus to focus on a building that's going to be destroyed at the end will avail nothing for anyone. I also gave him Luke 17, thinking that would help him to understand. Jesus says, likewise also, as was in the day of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and it destroyed them all. And I gave that to him to help him understand these things we see with our natural eye will be destroyed. And the people will be destroyed who are not the elect of God. So to focus on the elect of God, being the elect of God, being born again, being ready because of prayer that we're living in peace, being ready for the return of Jesus, to focus on those things that will help the people. The church building will not help the people at all. It might in some physical comfort way, but it won't help them in spiritual ways to be ready for the return of Jesus. Well, that pastor read that passage in Luke, and he sent me an email saying, 
thank you for praying according to that scripture. He missed the warning completely. But I said to God, well, I can't give him understanding. If he doesn't have any understanding, that shows me he's not of you. You're not giving him understanding. There's nothing I can do. So when I see a situation like that, when a person can't understand what I'm saying, I've learned to just walk away and leave them alone. So I told Pam, if this pastor sends us any more emails, just tell him I've delivered all the message that I have from God to him. And if I hear anything else, I'll let him know. I delivered a message to an individual once, a Catholic woman. And she called me and said, I received your message and I don't know what it means. I said, well, I can't give you understanding. She got mad. She said, I know you can't give me understanding. And she called back two or three times on that. And each time I just said, I can't give you understanding. You'll have to turn to God. Well, the message I delivered was from Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus said, call no man father. Here's a Catholic woman calling a man father. And she told me she couldn't understand the message. If they understand when you speak to them and there's a spark, you can know that's of God. But if they don't understand, you can't do anything. It's God who gives the understanding. All you can do is deliver the message. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.